This morning we are continuing in our series, Summer in the Minors, week two, uh, kind of tying in, we're talking about the minor prophets in the Old Testament, the 12 minor prophets, but we've tied that in with just a fun theme of, of minor league baseball, and we're going to be going to that game. But uh, uh, to start off today, as we go into our second week talking about Jonah, I hope I, I, I'm not causing too much difficulty in this, but I wanted to ask you to consider in your mind what one of the hardest days of your life has been. One of the most difficult days to go through. Maybe it was uh, literal circumstances. Maybe it was an emotional thing. Uh, you know, it could have been your car broke. Uh, you, you name it. For, uh, for some of us, this is a, uh, a, v- a very recent event. For some of us, this may have been an event that happened a long time ago, but it still feels very fresh like it happened yesterday. Um, there's a, uh, a Simpsons episode where... <laughs> Bart is just having an absolutely awful day, just a terrible day. And he's telling his dad about how terrible his day is. He goes, Dad, this is the worst day of my life. And his dad comforts him and says, and corrects him and says, it's the worst day of your life so far. (laughs) Um, We all go through difficult times. And I think for Jonah, we left off last week with him being thrown into the ocean. I think if he's thinking about worst days of his life, I think he'd go, you know that time I was thrown into the ocean and a giant fish swallowed me and I was, you know, getting slowly digested? That's up there. That's probably one of the worst days, you know. That's probably a a pretty terrible day. So we left off there. Jonah's been thrown off this boat into the ocean and he's been swallowed by a great fish or a great whale. The Bible doesn't really elaborate on what it is, but uh, what kind of fish or whale it was. But God had commanded Jonah to go and preach to the people of Nineveh. He said, go to this this, uh, city of Nineveh and go preach against it. And instead of that, he heads in the opposite direction of what likely is Spain, um, which is very much the opposite direction of modern day Iraq. And so he goes in the other way, and let me just tell you, there's always going to be a boat that's headed in the wrong direction. There's always going to be an opportunity to run away from God, an opportunity to say, I'm going to go the other way. And so while he's sailing away, God brings this storm down upon the sea, and the only way that it could be stopped was by the crew casting Jonah overboard. Um, I'm going to mention this in a little bit, but the crew was calling out to their gods. Nothing was happening. They went to Jonah, woke him up and said, call out to your God and ask him to save us. But there's no record of Jonah actually calling out to his God. He would almost rather die than listen to God or ask God for help. He said, throw me overboard. That'll stop the storm. But but he never, never is there a record of him saying, God, please help us. And so they, they, they throw Jonah overboard. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. So he was ingested by this giant fish or whale. And uh, I, I did some research, because I like to go down these research holes there, and there are a few fish or whales capable of swallowing a manhole. Um, sperm whales are kind of the primary one. Whale sharks could, um, although they don't prefer to. They don't really try to. Um, in 2020, two women were kayaking off the coast of California when a humpback whale came up while feeding, and it nearly ended tragically. And so I've got this video to show you. Uh, take, a, take a look at what happened here when they were out kayaking. In a terrifying encounter off the coast of California, two kayakers narrowly escaped a horrifying fate when they were unexpectedly swallowed by the jaws of a massive humpback whale. 
Julie McSorley and Liz Cottrell were kayaking in San Luis Obispo Bay, eagerly observing the whales as they fed on silverfish. Suddenly, a colossal humpback emerged from the depths, capsizing their kayak and plunging them into the water. Videos and photos captured the heart-stopping moment when the women in their vessel were briefly engulfed by the immense creature's mouth. Fortunately, they were able to resurface unharmed. That guy in the, on the paddleboard was like, time to go, time to go, time to go, time to go, time to go. Here we go, here we go. <laughs> he did not paddle towards him. I think he was just like, okie dokie, you know, just. But thankfully they survived that. Now, now, if you have a fear of open water, I realize that did not help your situation at all. Um. Now, in my research, I did a humpback whale like that or a blue whale. Their esophagus isn't large enough to actually swallow a person. You could get in there, like it'd be in their mouth very clearly, but uh, their, their esophagus is not really designed to be able to do that. But in 1955, a sperm whale was caught um, or killed off the coast of Portugal, and they opened it up, and within its stomach, they found a complete giant squid that measured 34 feet long and weighed 405 pounds. Complete. Not chewed up whole. Um, now, how you can survive the, one of the four stomachs of a whale and the gastric juices and, and everything else that goes on there, I don't know. I, I don't understand that. Um, it, I think it borders on the miraculous. Uh, there was a guy named Robert Ingersoll who fought during the Civil War, and after the Civil War, he became a lawyer and a politician. Um, but he famously was, was known as being the great American uh, agnostic. He did not believe that there really was a God or really questioned the existence of a God, which is ironic because his father was a Presbyterian minister and he was raised in a Christian home, but he rejected that. Uh, but there's a story told of one day when, when he was walking down the street, he came across a lady who was preaching um, and proselytizing on the side of the road or on the corner of the street. She was uh, with the Salvation Army. And she was telling about Jesus and what he had done in her life. And he started to heckle her. He started to give her a hard time. He says, there's no way you actually believe in Jesus, is there? And she said, yes, as a matter of fact, I do. He goes, come on. These stories in the Bible, you don't actually believe the story of Jonah and the whale. I mean, how could Jonah survive being in the stomach of a whale for three days? She says, I, I don't know. I guess when I get to heaven, I'll have to ask him. And he said, well, what if you get to heaven and you realize he didn't go to heaven? He went to hell. And she said, in that case, you'll have to ask him. <laughs> so, in, some interpret this story as, well, it's got to be fictional. It's kind of like a Moby Dick or a Pinocchio and a Geppetto in there with his candle. <laughs> kind of story, or, or maybe it's an allegory or something like that. But uh, my belief is it, it really happened that the supernatural was involved. I mean, if God can provide a fish, who's to say he can't keep someone alive in a fish? And so, um, uh, so God works as he sees fit. And this, this fish swallows Jonah. And uh, continuing on in Jonah chapter 2, verse 1, if you have your Bibles, open them up with me there or again in the Bible app. It says this, So then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. And he said, I cried out to the, Lord my, to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. Where did Jonah pray this prayer from? Inside the fish. 
he prayed this prayer of thanksgiving for God's rescue from inside the fish. The fish was God's mercy to Jonah. The fish was an extension of God's mercy to Jonah. Jonah recognized it while he was still inside the fish. He said, I cried out to you, God, and you answered me. God answered my prayer, and inside the fish is his answer to prayer. In chapter 1, verse 6, when the sailors, remember, we are praying to God, and they say, God, save us. Jonah never does. He never prays to God. Jonah thinks he's going to die by being thrown into the water. He gets eaten, and, and while he's in the belly of the fish, he goes, God, you saved me. I didn't even ask for it, but your mercy came anyways. I didn't ask for you to save me, but you rescued me. Now, this is probably not the rescue Jonah could have chosen if he had like a menu of God's saving choices, right? He's like, rowboat, you know, whatever it might be, send something. How about a fish and you live in it for three days? Well, not my favorite choice. Has anybody ever gone to a fast food restaurant? And don't start with this, I don't eat at fast food, Pastor Brent. I am so sick of people being like, holier than thou. You eat at McDonald's. You eat at Arby's. Come on. Okay. Um, and, and by the time you're like home or a good distance down the road, you were looking in the bag and it is not your order. I never feel so much injustice towards me. Like they had a vendetta in the restaurant. They're like, let's ruin this guy's day and give him a fish sandwich. You know, <laughs> like they're just looking to ruin, ruin my day. And I've, I've never felt such injustice as when I get the wrong order. But sometimes we put our request to God on what we expect. We put the order in at the window. <laughs> you know, we tell God what we want. And then we go away and we get God's answer. And we go, this is what I wanted. This isn't the answer. This isn't the mercy I was looking for. And we have this plan of what we expect from God. We didn't get what we ordered. And suddenly it's, it, you know, but, but Jonah sitting here in this belly of this fish goes, God, you sent mercy for me. You saved me. You sent your grace. And so as unpleasant as a time this would have been in this fish, it was God's mercy to Jonah extended out. And, and Jonah could have thought, you know what? God's just out to get me. First, it's the storm. Now he has me beaten, eaten by a fish. He's just trying to, you know, just make this like a slow digestion misery for me. He's punishing me for everything. You know, at no point in this story, though, has this been about God looking for creative ways to smite Jonah. It's not God's punitive system for Jonah. We talk about our justice system, the balance between what justice is and punitively punishing people for what they did and rehabilitation, Right. Just because someone won't recommit that crime, does that mean we should let them go? Or is there a punitive side where we're punishing them for what they did? And so was God putting Jonah in the whale because he's punishing him for what he did? Or was God doing something different in his mercy? See, this whole story, this entire journey has been about God getting Jonah's attention and returning him to the call that he had first placed on Jonah's life. It's about turning the ship, as it were, of Jonah's story around and getting him back into that direction that he had for his life. So this fish saves Jonah's, Jonah's life, which, which is the extension of God's mercy and provision. But if, I was thinking about the story. Couldn't the fish have just, if it's this kind of miracle, couldn't the fish have swallowed him if they're within eyesight of shore and just spit him out, like swam a few hundred yards or however far and spit him onto the shore? But instead, he has to live in there for three days in this stomach. So this time inside the fish, if he's not paying for his disobedience, if it's, bit disobedience, if it's not punitive discipline by God, just being like, shame on you. Now you have to suffer in this whale's stomach while I just cool down a little bit. 
It's not just God saying, this is for inconveniencing me or ticking me off. Maybe for you, you've been running from God and he's been chasing after you. And there's things that have felt like inconveniences. There's things that have felt like God's trying to just frustrate you. Or he's uh, maybe even feels like he's trying to smite you at times, but he's trying to get your attention. It's his mercy trying to reach you. It's not because he's trying to pay you back, but because he wants to win you back. God's pursuing you. And while Jonah is in this whale's stomach, God is doing something else. He's working on Jonah's heart. We can see it through this prayer that Jonah prays while he's in the belly of the whale. This fish was God's provision of mercy, but the time in the fish was a time of God's refining in Jonah. The book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verse 11 says, My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he, say it, loves. Say it again, loves. The Lord corrects those he loves. Just as a father corrects a child in whom he tolerates. I'm just seeing if you're paying attention. In those he delights. How often do we put discipline and delight in the same sentence? I've, I've got to tell you, when my kids have been in trouble, I have not said you are in such huge trouble because I delight in you. I'm delighting right now. But he delights in us, and for that reason, his discipline is there. Again, not punitive, but corrective. To develop something in Jonah's heart. And so, like Jonah in the belly of this fish, we feel the squeeze as we are being refined. And we ask God, why do you hate me? God, why are you putting me through this? This last year, we had a series where we talked about seasons of the soul. And I I was pretty open with you that I was going through a, a very dark, I would call it winter of the soul. A time where I didn't feel like God was very close to me, where I felt uh, discouraged. I felt alone. I felt fearful. But during that season, it wasn't just a season that I was abandoned. God was developing something in me that I was lacking. And I'm not saying that I've been brought to perfection. I am really stinking close, but... God was developing a new resilience within me that I hadn't had before. He was developing a stronger trust in him when I can't control outcomes, when I can't control how I want things to go. He was giving me tools for what he knew I was not yet prepared for. That season had purpose, and I'm sure future seasons where it's a dark season of the soul, God has purpose. But it's important, church, we understand we don't confuse God's provision for his punishment We don't confuse this refining for rejection. When you're in the stomach of the whale, when you're feeling pressed on every side, it's not God rejecting you every time. It's God developing within you something. It's God refining you. Maybe there's a testing that you're walking through. He's saying, let's see if what, we, what we've established is going to actually pay dividends. And he's, he's working on something in Jonah. And so Jonah emerges from the whale after these three days, a changed man. He emerges ready to obey God. He emerges with a new perspective of obedience. Jonah chapter 2, verse 10. And then the Lord spoke to the fish. I use the ESV version in this because I think that the uh, New Living softens it too much by saying it spit him out. It did not spit him out. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. I like that verse. 
What a visual. What a, what a smell. You think about the stomach acids and the bile and the, and the, the shriveled, bleached man coming out, just sloshing up onto the beach. You know, just, just getting... I'm sorry for those of you that have weak stomachs, but I just love it. I love it. And here comes this guy that's come through God's process. And let me tell you, if you come through a process with God, sometimes you'll be marked. You'll, you'll have something about you. People go, whoa, God did something there. Something happened there. And he comes out onto the beach and, and, and he's got all this that's happened to him. And then it says this, it's only rivaled, that verse is only rivaled by the verse that follows it in verse one of chapter three. It says, and then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. The tra- some translations say again. He came back to Jonah again. He trusted Jonah again with this message. Remember what we said last week. We don't serve a God of second chances. We serve a God of third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances and sixth chances. God gives us so many opportunities to return to him. God could have raised up another prophet. He could have used one of Jonah's contemporaries at the time. Remember, he had other pro- there were other prophets prophesying about what would be happening with Assyria and things like that. But how many times have we said, Lord, I've messed up, I've blown it, so that must uh, eliminate me from being able to be used by you. That has, that has removed me from your equation of usability. I'm sure you'll just set me to the side and you'll bring somebody else up. But no, this is not what God says. He says, Jonah, I am choosing you again. While everything inside of you says you should move on from me, I'm going to speak to you again. Don't disqualify yourself based on your failures. God is the one who calls people. God is the one who qualifies people. And it's his voice that comes to Jonah again. And so continuing on in verse 3. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command. Not going back to that whale. And he went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. Uh, This... Last spring, I got to go with Gavin to uh, the East Coast for his eighth grade trip to see the Capitol and all the different things there. And we got to go to Pennsylvania and see Gettysburg, or as they say, Gettysburg there. Um, and, and we got to tour the battlefield of Gettysburg. And uh, it was incredible. And one of our guides said, you know, not a lot of people know this, but Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, he was not the keynote speaker for that. As a matter of fact, not many people wanted him there for that. Half the country didn't even believe they were part of the United States. And the other half uh, was still a little bit divided on what they felt about Abraham Lincoln. And so they, invite, they, they finally felt, well, he is the president. I guess we'll invite him to come speak. But there was a, a keynote there by the name of Edward, Edward Everett who spoke for two hours before Lincoln got up to speak. He, orated for, he was a well-known orator. He spoke for two hours. And I don't think a single one of us in this room could probably say a single line from that two-hour speech. But then Abraham Lincoln stood up and for two minutes delivered the Gettysburg Address, which is probably known as one of the greatest speeches that was ever, has ever been given. It was in those two minutes that so much came across and it was so powerful. As a matter of fact, Edward Everett said, you delivered more in two minutes than I could in two hours. But uh, Jonah's message to the Babylonians put Lincoln's speech to shame because his message was eight words long. That's it. Uh, he said, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's all. That's all he said. There was no quippy anecdote or illustration or joke to loosen everybody up. Hey, Babylon, how are we doing today? <laughs> he just said eight words. And the Ninevites didn't believe him. They believed God. 
I think that's an important distinction we make here. Look at verse 5. It says, The people of Nineveh believed God and his message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. Let me tell you this. It's God's business to convict a heart and to bring people back to himself. It's our job just to be obedient to what he says. To be obedient to his voice. Jonah obeys God and the people responded in repentance. It wasn't because Jonah brought a really great uh, example or, or story or be able to support with, with X number of points or whatever why they should repent. He just gave God's message and God did what he does by convicting their hearts. And they responded in repentance. That eighth Hebrew word that Jonah uses, overthrown, he says in 40 days, if you don't, you know, in 40 days, this is going to be overthrown. The word overthrown is an interesting one. It's kind of like a homonym that we have in English where there's one word and it has different meanings. Kind of like in our baseball theme, we've got like the word pitcher. A pitcher is someone who throws the ball, right? A pitcher is also something that holds like Water or lemonade or something, right? Two different words. Well, in the same way, this word uh, will be uh, overthrown has two different meanings you could have. First is to be overthrown, which means to be upturned, to be tumbled, like it's going to be destroyed. The second meaning is to be changed and transformed. Two different meanings. They went with the latter. They were transformed people. The people of Nineveh repented, and as a result of their repentance, they were transformed as a people. They were transformed from being uh, people that, were, that had God's judgment coming upon them to being uh, repentant people. Look at verse 6. It says this, When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one. Not even the animals from your herds and flocks may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he had changed his mind and he did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. There's a few things that pop into my mind when I read that. Getting like a cow in burlap would be just a fascinating thing to watch. And how you keep animals from eating and drinking. But uh, you also recognize that how, how powerful a move of God this had to be. Because remember, in Assyria at this time, there was this contentiousness within, this inner turmoil of who the leader was. There was It was Game of Thrones going on there. Who was going to be the leader? And this guy who was king was so repentant that he was willing to lower himself... To the point of sitting in ashes and putting himself in burlap. Like, talk about a humbling of the leadership of Assyria. And so, and so they all come to this point. This entire story then, though, this, this is the, the, the culmination, the whole point of everything we're talking about in Jonah. It's about the extravagant mercy of God. Remember the Ninevites, they were notorious for their bar, bar, barbarianism. They, they were savage, there was just savagery, the way they would act. Um, if you are sensitive to violent descriptions, put your earmuffs on right now. If you didn't like what I was talking about with being barfed up, earmuffs, okay? During wartime, the Assyrians would impale their enemies on stakes. They would rape the women and burn the children. Then they would skin the men alive and bury them in the desert up to their heads. 
And then they would drive stakes down through their tongues and they would die of either thirst or starvation in the desert. The prisoners that they did decide to carry off, they would string together like fish. They would put hooks either through their jaws or through their cheeks or through their noses and string them together and drag them through the desert back to Assyria. They would behead people and put pyramids of skulls up to let people know where they had been and what they had conquered. They were a a violent, savage group of people, ruthless. And God tells Jonah, I want you to go and preach to them so they can be saved. God says, they are worth saving. Those people are worth saving. This is a story of God's mercy to those that don't deserve it. Assyrians did not deserve it. Jonah maybe had not beheaded people, skinned people, all those things, but he did not deserve it. He ran from God. He chose his own way. But it's a story of God's mercy. Despite their level of evilness, God desired to save them. Ezekiel 33.1 says, As surely as I live, says the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. Even wicked people. This verse could have so easily said, I do not desire for good people to die. I'll do whatever I can to save them. But God says, I don't even want the wicked to perish. I want them to turn from their wicked ways so that they can live too. God is not willing that any should perish. He's not willing that you would perish. You see, in this story, Jonah is just a shadow of who Jesus would be. Who Jesus would be when who would come to save us all from the destruction that was on its way for us. You see, the Bible is one continuous... Can you turn the keys down a little bit for me? The Bible is one continuous story... Quite a bit, just, just so it's behind me. The Bible is one continuous story that all points to Jesus. If you look at the story of Jonah, it's so many parallels of Jonah's story that it connect to Jesus. Jonah was sleeping in the bottom of the boat. Jesus was sleeping in the bottom of the boat. Don't you care that we are going to perish? Even though Jonah was a reluctant savior and it was his own sin that got people in the boat to this problem in the first place, it was his sacrifice that led to their salvation. It was his death and death alone that led to everyone else's salvation. Through the death of one man, salvation came to all. Jesus didn't deserve that death on the cross, but yet he willingly laid down his life for our salvation. Jonah was three days in the fish. In his prayer, he compares his time in the fish, we just read, as being buried in the earth, as death itself. He says, I, I was dead and in the grave for three days. Jesus gave the same comparison, comparison in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus says, only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign, but the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days. And three nights. And just like the fish was spoken to by the power of God, and it could not hold Jonah in, the grave could not hold Jesus. At the voice of God, the whale had to let Jonah go in the same way. At the power of God, the grave could not hold Jesus. You see, Jesus is the full, He is the complete, He is the better Jonah. That brings salvation to all. He has come to bring the opportunity to be transformed and not destroyed. In Jonah's eight word speech though it's important we see this. He said it is 40 days until overthrow. 40 days until destruction. Here's what we need to hear from that. God's mercy is a limited time offer. We aren't guaranteed tomorrow. 
He wants to give you every opportunity to come to know Him as your Lord and Savior. But, but we do not have tomorrow guaranteed. None of us are going to live forever. All of us will step into eternity at one point. We don't know when that day is going to be. Some of you may be on day 39. But let me tell you, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to humble ourselves before God and say, I need your forgiveness. I need your grace. I need your mercy, God, to come. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. Give me a fresh start. I want to serve you. Second Corinthians chapter 6 says, For God says, at the right time I heard you. On the day of salvation I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Today is that day. Don't let it get by you. Don't let, don't miss it. Don't miss this opportunity for grace right now. Don't put it off. Don't say, man, if I hear a better sermon, maybe I'll respond then. Maybe a better preacher, whatever it might be. If the room was a little cooler, I might respond. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time to respond to grace and say, Jesus, I have sinned. It doesn't matter how big your sin is or how small your sin is. You may have done something so horrific you would never want to speak it in the light of day. You may feel like I've hardly done anything. It was just the smallest white lie. All sin separates us from God and it brings us damnation. It brings us uh, death. But because of Jesus coming and dying instead of us, we have the hope of eternity. And that is available to you today. So will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for just a few moments? Have you been running from God? Like Jonah, maybe you've heard his voice and you have been running hard and fast in the other direction. I just gotta gotta escape this. Or maybe you're like the people of Nineveh who have been kind of ignorant to it, but now you're hearing truth and you say, I need to respond to this. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time to respond to the mercy of God that is available to you. So right now, if you're in this room and you say, Pastor Brent, I need that salvation. I need that grace of God. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve his mercy, but I want to receive that mercy. So right now, there is no shame. There is no condemnation for those that say, I need Jesus. Because let me tell you, At some point, most of us in this room have prayed that prayer and we've made that decision. And each one of us, day in and day out, come to a point where we say, Jesus, search my heart, find the areas of inconsistency, forgive me, wash me clean. I want to follow you. So right now, if you're saying, I want to be included in that, I want to give my life to Jesus. This is the first time or maybe I'm recommitting my life. If that's you, will you raise your hand? Raise it high. I want to pray with you. Yes, I see those hands. Thank you. Yes, I see that hand. Yes, I see it. Thank you. Anybody else want to join these? Thank you. Praise God, praise God. You can put your hands down. Right now, we're going to respond as a church together to the grace of God. Just like that whole community of Nineveh responded to the mercy of God, we're going to respond to the mercy of God right now. And this prayer isn't, it's not about stringing the right words together in the right order or anything like that. This is about a heart stance. It's about the position of our heart when we pray to God saying, God, I believe who you say you are is real, is true, and I need your forgiveness and I want to give you my life. So right now, everyone in this room, across the room, let's pray this together. Say, dear Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe that you died for me. And that you took my sin. But that you rose again. And you offer me life. 
So I receive this life. Come into my heart. Make me new. Turn my life around. I choose to follow you from this day forward. In your name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Um, In just a moment, we're going to do our connection cards. And if you raised your hand, will you do something for me? Mark on your connection card that you made that decision. Because we want to be agreeing with you in prayer, but we also want to connect you with the next steps of what it means and looks like to follow Jesus. We don't want to just pray this prayer because it doesn't end at just a prayer. Now it's a journey of following Christ. And so we want to help you along that path of what it means to follow Jesus. But the next thing I want to talk about before we go, we we have a couple minutes here, is are you in the time of refining? Maybe you're in the belly of that whale and you're feeling the squeeze. You feel the pressure. Maybe it's dark and you don't see the way out. And maybe you're feeling abandoned by God in this season. And it's harder to see the provision. It feels more like a curse. It's harder to see the mercy of God. It feels more like punitive punishment. But right now, in this season, while maybe you are in the whale, you need to turn your eyes upon Jesus. And say, God, whatever you're walking me through, develop in me. Those attributes that you seek to develop. Lord, if it's a new level of obedience, maybe I've been uh, resisting you in some areas. Maybe it's an area of, of, uh, of, of reconciliation I need to have. Maybe whatever it might be that God is doing, seek his face and say, God, in this season, what are you teaching me? What are you walking me through? So with our heads bowed one more time, before we go, if you're in this room and you say, I, I feel like I am in the belly of the whale today. And it's hard to see the mercy of God in it, but it is his salvation. And I receive that and I want to be developed through whatever he's bringing me through. So when I come to the other side, I am a new person. I I have a new resilience. I have a new commitment to following him in every area of my life. If you're in that space, say, Pastor Brent, I need prayer. Will you raise your hand right now? Raise it high. Yeah. Lord, right now, for those with their hands raised. We all go through dark seasons of the soul. We all go through seasons where we feel like we don't see the light, where we feel the the crushing pressure of that around us. But God, let us see your mercy in that moment. That you would draw us through to the other side, refined by your Holy Spirit. Keep our eyes on the miracle that we are here and you are doing something even in the midst of it. Don't ever let us forget the miracle of your grace, even in the middle of the storm. And Father, when we go to the other side, give us the resolve to follow in complete obedience when you come to us yet again and say, here is my word, now go. We thank you, Jesus, for it. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, right now, if you'll take out your connection cards with me for just a moment. Go to nlcchurch.com slash connect. Use the QR code or the paper ones in the seat backs in front of you. And if you do the paper one, just take it with you on your way out. Our ushers will be at the back doors. They'll have the buckets. Just drop it in the bucket there. We'll get that from you. Let us know, first of all, if you gave your life to Jesus, if this is your first time. If this is your first time, we're going to make a donation on your behalf to an organization called Feed One. It goes into the neediest parts of the world, brings the hope of Jesus, and it also meets felt needs like food, water, 
uh, an education to children in need. So as a way of saying thank you for letting us know it's your first time, we'll make that donation on your behalf. We hope it's the first step of many in ministry together with you. Secondly, um, if there's anything we can be praying with you about in that comments area, write down what's going on in your life. We can be agreeing with you in prayer. Our elders pray every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. over these prayer requests. Let us know. And I love praise reports. Maybe, maybe you've been vomited onto the shore and God's doing something awesome in your life and you've got a praise report of what God's brought you through. Write that down, okay? We want to celebrate it with you and, uh, and, and believe with, with you for what God is doing. So everybody, let's just take about 30 more seconds. Fill out those connection cards if you would. We want everyone to do it. doesn't matter if you've gone here since they put the first foundation stone in here somewhere. You know, I, we want to know you were here. It means so much to us that you were here, all right? So let's just take a moment and fill that out together. All right, church, let's stand together as we go. I'm going to pray over you for God's provision, for his grace, for his mercy to catch us when we run, when we fall, and that he would continue to develop within us new obedience, new resilience. All right, Father, thank you for this church, your people. As we go today, I pray, God, that you would go before us, that you would prepare the way uh, in, in conversations that we didn't anticipate opportunities for obedience that we didn't even see coming. As as uh, Tim talked about a couple weeks ago, that, that Lord, we would just pray in the Spirit when we're in, uh, in conversations with people for opportunities to bring grace to them. And Lord, for those that are in the moments where we feel like we're, we're feeling uh, pressed on every side, uh, Lord, that you would take those moments, that you would refine us, and that we would come through with a, more, a deeper resolve and greater desire to follow you in faith and in obedience, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, New Life. Have a wonderful, blessed day. We will see you uh, next Sunday or at one of our events happening this week.